Hello, you are listening to Citrus Church Refreshed. I am Jared Cunningham, worship leader as well as host of the Refresh podcast. And I am joined by my special guest, not a myth, but still a legend, I would say, Mr. Brian Johnson. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the on the podcast today, Jared. Having you on the podcast, man. You're the pastor. I can't like not have you on. <laughs> no, I feel like that just gives me the freedom to say, like, I want to be on this week. And I, I just get to jump on even if I have no part at all. So for all those listening, Jared does uh, 99.9% of this, and I get to show up and just kind of listen in to all the work that he does. Yeah, but you do like 99.9% of like our service stuff. So I feel like it's even balance. We'll call it even. So with this month being October and somehow Halloween became more than just a day and it takes over a whole month. Not that I'm complaining. I get to catch up on Halloween movies. But with this month being dedicated to all things spooky, this episode kind of feels appropriate because we're going to talk about something that may be scary for some. But before we get into that, Brian, I have a question for you. All right, go ahead. What is one of, if not your like, thing you're most fearful of? My kids will tell you it is spiders. And so they have endless joy of telling me there's a spider on my head, Dad, there's a spider on your back. And they think it's it's very, very funny. Even though I know they're joking, there's still a part of me that gets like the heebie-jeebies as soon as they say that. <laughs> well, so. um, I'm right there with you. I don't like spiders, and it's not so much the sight of one. It's them actually mm-hmm. like being on you because some of them do yeah. jump. Yeah, they're cre- they, yeah, with the eyes and the legs, they're just creepy. Like I'm getting creeped out right now. <laughs> For me, not so uh-huh. much. Not so much even spiders. I think like my biggest one is heights. Okay. Because after like a certain being so high, it's just that fear of falling. So heights more than spiders. Spiders are just more so, I'm okay with you, just don't jump on me. Because if you do, Uh it's not going to end well. Heights are more so my like biggest fear. But So there's like big heights, like like what we're talking about, like kind of, concerned about like maybe like the second story or are you talking about like airplane kind of stuff i don't like airplanes i've okay. been on been on airplanes before still don't like them um, uh-huh. i can tolerate a ferris wheel but i still will hate every minute of being on it okay i haven't done the orlando eye yet but still <laughs> i don't think i want to even in being in tall buildings as long as i don't like look out a window i'm okay 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 so, that's those are my biggest ones. Not even being I'm okay with being on top of roofs. Just if we go so high, it's a no go for me. So if they ever changed uh snakes on a plane to spiders on a plane, we're both out. Yeah. I don't 100%. like snakes either, but I can tolerate a snake more than a spider. Yeah, I, I feel the same way too. They don't they don't have the same creep factor for me. I'm sure some do though. I'm sure some people listening, that's their thing. Yeah. Probably. There was a show back in, I think it first aired in like the late 80s through the 90s, even into the early 2000s, that kind of highlighted this big fear that we're going to talk about. And it was Unsolved Mysteries. I don't know if you ever caught that show. Mm -hmm. I do remember it from the past. Yeah. It's been a while. (laughs) Yeah. When I was a kid, I remember it would be on TV. I don't remember if it was either watching it with my mom or watching it with my grandmother, but the story's always kind of stuck with me, and I rewatched it here a few weeks ago, and I only watched one episode, and in each one they talk about four, we'll say, cases, 
Mm-hmm. And I'm still thinking about, you know, how how did that happen? What well, who did what? And the questions still kind of circle. And for those who may be unfamiliar with the show Unsolved Mysteries, it was kind of one of the earlier true crime shows kind of based on missing person cases as well as paranormal events. And the list goes on. And usually in one episode, they showed about four different mysteries, we'll say. These mysteries wound up coming from old case files, old cold case files that were never solved, as well as families just looking for answers to maybe missing person cases or, you know, what happened to family members. And at one point, even police departments started seeking out help with their cases and they would mail in, you know, information. I didn't know that. Yeah. Kind of that started taking off more in the 90s when they started doing it. Okay. And I feel like that show kind of highlights this fear more than anything. It's the fear of not having answers and not knowing why things happen. And I feel like that's, it may not come up as a fear, but it's definitely something we all kind of concentrate on more and we maybe Mm -hmm. overthink and it kind of just sticks with us. Would you agree, Brian? I would. Yeah. I mean, there's those fears we talk about like planes and spiders, but like some of the stuff that really keeps me up at night, it's the why questions or the what if, or what could have been. Mm -hmm. That's the real stuff. And I think one of the bigger kind of fears and kind of the bigger maybe questions in our faith is we may ask maybe why something happened to someone or especially in this time that we're in this Mm -hmm. year of ongoing events, we'll say. You know, why is this happening? Why the list of whys could go on. And I feel like there's a story and there's a reason and there are things we have to think about. And I feel like there's a story from the Bible that kind of highlights this pretty well. So I know Brian's familiar with the story of Ruth because he's a pastor. He doesn't have much of a choice. But I'll kind of give the, uh, what were those things back in school called? The cliff notes? Ah, uh, the Cliff Notes. Yep, I'm gonna yellow the, book. Yeah, I'm gonna give the Jared version of Cliff Notes. So, so if you're unfamiliar with the story of Ruth, it starts with a man named Elimelech who moved his family along with his wife Naomi to a foreign land, and his two sons married women in this foreign land, and one of those women's name was Ruth, and unfortunately, Elimelech. Fear of saying fear of saying Elimelech three times fast. Exactly. Unfortunately, he passed away as well as his as well as his sons, and ultimately Naomi made the decision to return back to her homeland and her daughter in laws joined her at first, but one decided to return home while Ruth decided to continue on with Naomi and r- right at the beginning of this story, we can already kind of see the question of why did this happen why why was this allowed to happen? And we move into the story further and we see that Ruth is trying to not only provide for herself and Naomi, so she starts picking within the fields after other laborers had gone through. And somehow, some way, the Lord works in mysterious ways, we'll say, or maybe God had a plan already. It turns out Ruth has been working in the field of Boaz, who happens to be a relative of Elimelech. And... She's working in the field. She tells this to Naomi that, you know, hey, I've been working in this field that belonged to Boaz. And she's like, oh, this is a family member you need to definitely meet with. And he is a kinsman redeemer, we'll say. And Brian will explain what that means later. 
but he is a kinsman redeemer in our family as with our customs. So you definitely need to go talk to him. And ultimately, long story short, Ruth does wind up marrying Boaz and Ruth becomes the great grandmother to David. I feel like that's a decent cliff note version. Maybe some things left out, but close enough. Yeah. If you, if you study that cliff notes, I mean, you're at least in the, you're at least in the, the, the A plus, but probably in the A range or sorry, the B plus range. I was going to give it a B. <laughs> yeah. I'll give it a it B. Maybe A minus on that one. I think that was great. Yeah. With this story, like I said, Elimelech passes away, his sons pass away, and ultimately Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth have to move back to Naomi's home. And we can kind of see these questions of why did this happen? What what were they supposed to do next? Ruth is trying to provide for not only herself and Naomi, and God allows these events to kind of perspire into a place where she winds up being the great-grandmother to David, the man after God's own heart. Beginning the story, we kind of see, uh, well, why is this happening? But we ended on God had a plan in place. So, Brian, if you could talk about, kind of clear up the space of what a kinsman redeemer is in this story, as well as how this ties together of that point of, yes, we do have questions. Yes, we ask why, but we also need to know that God has a plan. Yeah. Yeah, sure. The the kinsman redeemer idea is a, it's kind of an important concept in the Old Testament, and it's got bigger implications than uh, just that. But this is a great story that talks about it. Where um, now, now remember that these are roles that we may not love today, but they're kind of the 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 gender and um, society roles that were present back then. And the idea was that there was a male relative, and based off of the the law of the Old Testament, as we'll call it. Um, they kind of had a responsibility uh, to act on behalf of a relative who was uh, in danger, uh, who was in trouble, who experienced some kind of loss. And so the idea with the kinsman redeemer was that it was a way that God put in place to help protect the people. So, for example, if someone lost everything, they wouldn't end up kind of begging on the side of the road. Uh, so the point was was there was a responsibility for the relative to kind of take them into their household uh, and to essentially rescue them into, uh, I like that idea, the, re- the redeemer. So your kin help redeem your situation when everything falls apart. Um, and yeah, like Jared said, this is really well illustrated in the book of Ruth. So like I've said a few times already, the thing that stands out to me the most in this story is we begin with this situation of there's a famine going on in Israel. There's a, fam- a famine going on in Elimelech's hometown that forces him to move to another country, we'll say. And even with that, there's that question of why is this famine happening? Why, why am I being maybe displaced from my home? And maybe even in this time with the events of COVID and the events of this year, maybe there are people who maybe relate to that story, we'll say. And we move forward into this unfortunate instance where Elimelech, as well as his sons, pass away. And there's another question of why must this happen? As unfortunate as it is, we move into this next place of how is Naomi, who herself considers herself, I think she's like 
she's older, but maybe 60 or 70 to kind of put it in a framework for us. You know, how is she to take care of herself? And how would Ruth, who's moving into a foreign land and kind of uprooted, how is she supposed to kind of interact and make things? What is the next right move for her? Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that this story shows us is it's a good example of what do I do next as well as how can I move forward? Yeah. And I feel like when we have those questions of why, those are kind of the two questions we should kind of not ask instead, but the questions we should move to. Because unfortunately, when we ask those why questions, it's not too clear how we'll get those answers or when we'll get those answers. But what we can find answers to is what do I do next and how do I move forward from it, from this, whatever that this is. So Brian, if you can maybe elaborate on that and maybe even highlight what the church's duty is in those kind of why and how do I move forward questions. Yeah, that's really the hardest part of faith, I think. And it, it doesn't take someone very long, I don't think, to get down, if, whether they're new to faith or if they grew up in the faith, to get to one of those those points where, why in the world did this happen? Uh, you know, why did this person die unexpectedly? Um, why did this catastrophic thing happen in my life? You know, Jared, you and I were talking about this earlier. Um, when this is at time of recording, last week was when they did all the Disney layoffs. Um, you know. For so many people that is working for Disney isn't just a job. It's it's their it's their life and their passion and they're passionate about it. And, and I work there, so I get that. And, and so there's that question of like, what this this was this was how I fully expressed myself. Like, how could that happen? How could and I so I think at the core of that unsolved mystery is this question: If God is good, why are bad things happening? And I had a seminary seminary professor once tell us there's just not a good answer to that. And that frustrated me as much then as it does now, but I, I think that he was right. That there are answers to that, and but we don't necessarily like them because they involve things like, in some cases, there's just the reality that the world is broken, right? And that humans mess things up and get things wrong. But we also have to draw a line in the sand and say that there are things that are, don't happen. Um, for example, when someone maybe loses a baby or something like that, that's not a, a time to begin to point fingers and say, well, who sinned here? Who did something wrong? Um, that's just not how that works. But that has caused a lot of harm. So, you know, Jared, I think you're right. I think we've, in the Christian faith, we've had a lot of challenge over the years trying to figure out why do bad things happen to good people? Does everything happen for a reason? My take on that, just as a quick footnote, is Everything doesn't happen for a reason. Um, and so that can really create some dark spaces. And I remember I've talked to a lot of people about this. They, they begin to wonder, is God really good? Or is God real or present? And those are, I mean, we talk about, I talk about fear of spiders. Like those are scary questions right there, you know? Definitely. And there's definitely a few verses in the Bible that kind of highlight this. I won't read the whole thing, but... Uh, Psalm 77, which in my Bible, and it seems appropriate, is called confidence in a time of crisis. And one of the things it kind of highlights is this feeling that maybe God has abandoned us. It's that feeling that maybe things have gone on and it feels like God may not be there with us. But it highlights that 
in these times, verse 11 says, I will remember the works. I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you've done and meditate on your actions, kind of remembering what God has done in the past and knowing that he will provide in the future. And then even Isaiah 55 and verse 8 goes on to say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I feel like that highlights that God has a plan, though we may not understand it, and though we may not agree with it. God does have a plan, and he is still kind of working in our lives. Yeah, I guess what I've learned over the years is an absence of being able to give people, you know, really definitive answer when they come and say, why did this happen? And I'm kind of just looking at them thinking like, I, I wish I knew. I really do. I wish I could answer that for you. I think what I've learned from watching people go through that and then going through that myself are really just like you said, Jared, there, there's a couple of different, they're not really answers, but they're kind of ways of getting through it. Um, the one that has always been really helpful for me to remember is it really came from the, that song from a while back, the idea of beauty from ashes. Um, and the idea that, that God doesn't create the bad things that happen in our lives, but the place where we would look for God to be is not the one who creates bad things, but the one who can make beauty come up from ashes. Um, and the idea that God is able to bring new life from something old and, and just the idea of, you know, Jesus walked out of the tomb. So, Things go in tombs to die, but God brings new life out from tombs. And that doesn't, that, that sounds and it feels good, but I just want to affirm that in, in the process, that's not easy. Um, some of the other things that are helpful are that, uh, like Jared, like you said, just a recognition that we can't fully understand God. And when we don't have an answer to why something's happened, there can be some peace for some people in, in some situations and knowing that that God is bigger than we are. And this might be one of those ones, as I've kind of thought of it, that we're going to have to file away until heaven. And, and I know I know a lot of people who, who say, you know, as soon as I get to heaven, I'm, I'm really excited. But I got a couple of questions I want to ask. <laughs> and I and I think that is fair. I think that is fair. And I think God is that uh, maybe a third piece that I would say is that God is big enough to handle our questions and our anger and our frustrations. Um, you know, in Jesus, we see that God was fully human. And sometimes people are afraid to be upset with God. And, and I think that we need to have a, an understanding of God that says, just like a parent is okay when, when, they, when our child doesn't understand us and they get upset, um, I as a parent can handle that with my kids. And so I believe that God is a much better parent than me can handle my upset when I'm angry, when I'm frustrated and doesn't mind when I kind of throw that at God. Um, and then the last thing I would say, this kind of ties back into where we started, um, is that, is that God is really with us in those dark places. And like the scripture said, we can't see that very often. And one of the things I found is that when I can't see God, I can usually see someone else around who's trying to help and help me. Or just like the story of Job, just sit with me through it, you know, and kind of be there, even if they, they don't have answers either. And that's where I like this idea of the kinsman redeemer and where I think that. So Jesus kind of is our redeemer. And if we can't see Jesus, then God's gift to us is the church. And so the church, the community of faith, the people 
can be our kinsmen redeemers. They can they can take us in when everything has fallen apart, whether that's kind of literally help us put a food you know a roof over our house and food in our belly, or just that person who can sit with us until the situation is redeemed, or we kind of find a way to live with what is. So with that, I hope that was able to. I hope we were able to at least maybe provide some comfort or maybe a sense of hope and a sense of peace for anyone listening. If you haven't already, like I said, we would love it if you join the Grove, Grove, the Citrus Church Grove. It is a good place for resources as well as it's not a place where we just post announcements or church announcements. It's definitely a place where we want to create this culture of togetherness. And it's not our group as say worship leader and pastor. It's our group as Citrus Church, this community. So with that, we hope you, like I said, join the Grove, like us on Facebook, like us on Instagram, as well as I believe we have a prayer vigil coming up next week. Mr. Johnson, if you talk about that a little bit. Very excited about this. This was kind of one of the initiatives from our prayer and care team. And they just felt like we needed to create some space in our church for prayer around everything that's happening locally, nationally, and across the world. And so what we're doing is, it, but also give people a space to pray in person, some sacred space, um, but also do that in a safe way. So next Wednesday is October 14th. And on that night, we're going to be having a, a prayer night here at the Grove House from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., and individuals can sign up for 30-minute time, slot, time slots to pray. Um, we'll have some stations available for prayer, journaling, or, or artistic expression. And we'll keep it kind of a quiet environment. There'll be someone kind of here to kind of monitor the door. But that really just gives each person a place to pray. Uh, and, of course, we'll be sanitizing before and after all that. And so for me, I think that this is really helpful because prayer either helps us better understand what's happening that's not working or it can give us peace through the lack of understanding that we have. So, uh, we'll, we'll be able to put like a link here, but the easiest way is if you go to today at citrus.org today at citrus.org and you can click the events tab at the top and you'll find prayer night and you can sign up for a time slot. Uh, go ahead and book that today and get that set up. All right. And with that, we'll look to see you next time. Thanks for listening.